So, how does it feel to watch an entire set of Americans' dreams just simply vanish into thin air in front of their eyes? How do you feel when you see millions of people who've been working hard pretty much their entire lives, putting a just endless effort into, um, into their passion projects, and now watching those simply dissolve in front of them? How does it feel to see an entire section of American society so filled with despair and anguish that they're barely able to even speak? I don't know about you, but to me, it's just fantastic. I mean, <laughs> I, I, I'm just... No, I wasn't talking about us. I was talking about them. I was talking about that. I wasn't talking about us. We're doing fine. Well, we're not doing fine, but we're not doing what they're doing. The entire left-wing agenda is just slip-sliding away, uh, and it's happening faster and faster every day. Be of good cheer. Let's take some examples, why don't we? Uh, critical race theory, which has been taught... Actually, you know what? I'm going to interrupt myself here and say that virtually everything that the left has done that has been effective in really seriously damaging this country, I'm not a Pollyanna about this, but serious damage to this country has been done covertly. That's how the left operates, covertly. Nobody knew what they were teaching our kids in school. Nobody knew about what, what critical race theory really meant when these things were introduced. Everything that they do, they have to do under the surface. They have to do in secret. They have to work on children. They have to, all of it. So when any of this comes to light, it's not just a bad day for them. It's the end of them because nobody wants to buy what they're selling. So let's go down the list again. Critical race theory being taught in school. Parents are showing up at school board meetings demanding that, that their children are not being taught to hate themselves, hate their parents, hate everybody who looks like them because of something that they didn't do. And, and this is a grassroots, very emotional issue that is widespread across the entire country. So there's that. There's the entire grooming thing, which came as an absolute shock after the whole discovery of what CRT being taught in schools was. Now we find out that they're not only trying to turn our kids into young communists and young self-hating racists, they're also trying to turn them into young communist self-hating racist pedophile lovers. The wheels are turning, as usual, with the kind of geological pace that you would expect when a Democrat is in trouble. But nevertheless, the wheels are turning. They're turning and closing in, finally, on that famous felon, Hillary Clinton. Uh, as we record this, five people who were uh, colluding with her to set up this entire Donald Trump-Russian collusion thing with the FBI have taken the fifth. That's always a bad sign. If you're on a team and you've got guys in a courtroom and your side takes the fifth, generally speaking, that's not the side you want to be on. Even though she's gotten away with what she's gotten away with for as long as she's gotten away with it, it simply won't go away. This investigation has actual legs and it's got teeth too. I don't know how it's actually proceeding in this climate, but nevertheless, it is slowly, slowly, slowly closing in on that most famous of uh, felons and the biggest scandal in, in American political history. It may actually break. I think that story will break in the same way that I think another enormous scandal is going to break and break soon, and that's the Hunter 
Biden laptop story. Now, anybody who had any questions about whether or not the 2020 election was tampered with, you don't even have to go to the voting booths to know this. If you can show, and you can, any idiot can, it's, it's, it's open, it openly admitted by these people, that the suppression of a story that wasn't just, as we're beginning to discover, and as many of us suspected, wasn't just about the fact that Joe Biden's son is a, is a bit of a, you know, loser, weirdo, uh, drug addict, all of that. If it were just about Hunter, that'd be one thing. If it were just about Hunter benefiting from the influence of his father, that'd be something much, much worse. And if it was about Hunter benefiting from the actions of his father and his father was getting a cut, now you've got actual, genuine, serious trouble for Joe Biden. Not that he's going to be aware of it, of course. The man who's shaking hands with the air just a couple of days ago uh, was basically reined in by one of his keepers, which was the Easter Bunny. He started talking about Afghanistan or Pakistan or something, and the Easter Bunny, the, the guy in the costume, stood up and said, oh, Mr. President, we're wanted over there, and off they went. He's a laughingstock. Kamala Harris is an absolute catastrophe. The latest plan on the part of the Democrats is to send her out to, you know, Buckings, Idaho, and if there is, in fact, a Buckings, Idaho, I, I apologize uh, uh, for inventing your name. But th the only place they can put her is out in the distant country doing tiny, tiny, tiny events in states that they know they're already going to lose. And by the way, if you want to talk about, about watching an entire political movement slip slide in a way, take a look at this. I pointed this out in the, um, in the firewall I did uh, called Technocracy, where I talked about collective wisdom and how election betting pools consistently return much more accurate results than polls do. Many polls are, are slanted intentionally, and even the best ones don't get as close as hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people do when they've got their money on the line. Look at these numbers and look at the, look at the trend lines. This is for the House. Take a look at the Senate. This is, this is unprecedented, unprecedented move from people away from the Democratic Party to the Republican Party. The Republican Party's always been outnumbered in terms of the people who identify as Republican versus Democrat. Those days are over. We are now up plus 10 or something like that in most of these states. They know what's coming. They know it's a bloodbath coming. The uh, Putin inflation uh, strategy didn't stick. And after two years of of the worst surrender of personal liberties, in the, certainly in my lifetime, and I think certainly since the Civil War, we end up with Dr. Anthony Fauci saying, you know, I guess we really ought to leave it up to individual people to determine their own level of risk. The mask mandate was just lifted from airline travel. Uh, we have statistics now, hard statistics, showing that the states that did the least in terms of locking down their population survived covid the best, and the states that locked the people down the most, like the one I live in here in California, did the worst. That's actual data. That's out there. I'm not done yet. Ukraine shows us a couple things that are that should should cheer the hearts of patriotic Americans and and cause these uh, communist uh, weirdo psychopaths some some more pain. First of all, it's not lost on the American people for the first time in their lives 
to see what happens when tanks come into your neighborhood and start blowing things up. All of a sudden, the idea of having a rifle in the closet doesn't seem like such a bad idea. And this is the thing I come back to again and again and again and again. It's my training as a screenwriter, and it's why I am so determined to make these messages visual in the future. You can talk about the Second Amendment all you want to. And you can talk about how it protects us from tyranny, and we do, and it doesn't affect people out there because they don't see anything to connect it to. But when you start seeing bodies lying in the streets with their hands tied behind them, and you see apartment buildings bombed out and tanks rumbling down the street, all of a sudden, the idea of having a military-type assault rifle doesn't seem so nutty, really, does it? I noticed that Russia didn't invade America. I wonder why that is. As, as well, in Ukraine, we noticed something that's good for America, and I think shocking, really, to the degree that it's good for America. We discovered that American weapon systems like the Stinger and the Javelin work remarkably well, as we expected they would, and that the entire Russian military works incredibly poorly, as we didn't expect that they would. The performance of the Russians has been abysmal, and losing a flagship, a, a, a capital ship, losing the Moskva to a missile attack from Ukraine, that was the largest warship to sink since the General Belgrano sank during the Falklands War back in the early 1980s. It's a catastrophe of public relations and a catastrophe for the Navy, and it makes you ask, why did that ship go down? I'll address that on one of the right angles uh, that we're going to shoot this week. Am I done yet? No, I'm not done. Oh, of course not. I'm not done yet. In Shanghai, we are seeing people who are going out on their balconies and wailing and crying and screaming and yelling, and some of them are dropping off the rails. They're committing suicide because they have been locked into their apartment complexes for weeks and they're running out of food or have run out of food. What that is doing is showing the Chinese people, really for the first time in, in the history of the Chinese people that are alive, it's showing them what they already suspected, but they never really had a chance to experience. It's kind of like seeing the war pictures in, in, a, in a Western country. The Chinese people are beginning to realize that they live in a prison planet, that their entire society is based on the ability to lock people up at whim and, and, and to starve a population in order for them not to get COVID is only explainable because the Chinese Communist Party has made it clear that China had the answer for COVID, that COVID wasn't a problem in China. And when it turned out that it was a problem in China and they have to starve the residents of their largest city in order to save face, if I can figure that out and you can figure it out, I imagine that the people in China can figure it out. And already we're beginning to hear the kind of rumblings of, of people who are saying, maybe this isn't the very best government we could get. You have to understand this about China. I did a documentary on them. Uh, I was an editor on a documentary back in 2001. We had footage that was shot in 2000 and footage that was shot in 1995. I couldn't cut them together because in 1995, people were wearing Mao jackets, riding bicycles and coming home to houses that had dirt floors. By 2000, you've got guys in business suits with cell phones. That's how fast it was. We forget how much of an improvement in the quality of life 
that China has experienced in the last 20 or 30 years. And when we look at their government, we say, how do people put up with that totalitarianism? Well, they put up with it the same way that the Soviets did, the same way that the Russians did under the Soviets. They put up with it because overall, even though they had no political freedom, the standard of living was considerably better, and in, in some cases, miraculously better than it used to be. But those days are over now. Now people are sitting in their apartment buildings starving, and drones are flying overhead telling them to stop singing, stop shouting, and resist your soul's desire for freedom. That is going to bear fruit. The two things that I think are the most indicative of how, of how soundly the left is getting thrashed here are a well, one of them is a story that's still in motion, and by the time this is recorded and aired, the story might be over. But as I record this, Elon Musk's bid for Twitter is still on the table. Now, it's not what's the, the fascinating thing is not that Musk bid on Twitter, although that is, in fact, a fascinating aspect of it. Watching the level of panic all across the left, not just the people who work at Twitter, but all of the left, looking at the level of hair on fire running around panic that a capitalist might be able to spend enough money to buy free speech in America has them mortified, terrified, amplified, anything but dignified. That trend is also going to continue. And finally, it may seem like a small metric, but I think personally this is the biggest metric of all. CNN, the most trusted name in news, you know, America's news source. And you can tell it's America's news source because when you go to the airport, that's what's on the TV monitors. Decided to launch a premium streaming service. And in a burst of creativity, they decided to call it CNN Plus, much the way as Disney Plus or Paramount Plus or any of the rest of these pluses. They expected to get between 1 and 2 million subscribers in their first year and expected that number to go up to 15 or 17 million within two or three years. But they didn't get a million subscribers, and they didn't get 100,000 subscribers. They got 10,000 subscribers. They got 1% of what they expected to get. Not 1% of the audience, not 1% of the market share, 1% of what they expected to get when they launched this enterprise means that even these people have to face the reality of the bubble that they live in. And, and much more to the point, it goes to show you that people on the left will watch CNN if they have a particular problem with Donald Trump, but they won't watch CNN if it's not about Trump, and they certainly won't pay to watch CNN under any circumstances. Now, that's what's happening in the world politically. Why do I think that this is such great news, and why am I not surprised to see this, and why have I been talking about this for so long? Well, because I believe what Andrew Breitbart said. I believe politics is downstream of culture. That's why I watch the pop culture so carefully. Now, everybody knows that Andrew Breitbart said it, and everybody knows what it means because that was the genius of what Breitbart said. It's self-explanatory. Politics is downstream of culture. What happens in the pop culture first will be reflected later in time in politics. But how does that actually work? What's the mechanism of it? The reason that politics is downstream of culture is because it takes longer to react to politics. You have a presidential election every four years. You have an off election every two years. But you get to decide what movies you want to watch 
right now. And you may get to make that decision 10 or 15 times a year. You may get to decide on a practical daily basis what you watch and what you don't watch. And it's easy to go out and see what is succeeding and what is failing. And three years ago, all of the woke agenda that was in the pop culture crested and peaked and people walked away from the pop culture. They walked away from Star Wars, walked away from Star Trek, walked away from all of it. And sure enough, now in the pop culture, they're scrambling to turn that around and go back to making movies the way they used to because they are learning, get woke, go broke. But that was demonstrably proven by immediate metrics like box office receipts and sales of merchandise and all the rest of it. The thing that I was most afraid of never came about. What would have scared the daylights out of me would have been if Star Trek Discovery, the wokest show in the galaxy, if that show had been a success, if that show had tremendous numbers and ratings, if that show had a rabid fan base, if that show were having conventions that were being sold out, if that show had merchandise that was flying off the shelves, if people who had never been Star Trek fans before suddenly start becoming Star Trek fans because of the woke content of Star Trek, that's when I would have been worried. Same for Star Wars and same for all the rest. But nobody wants it. It's all failing. It's already failed in the pop culture. And those attitudes, which you're able to react to in real time, are now beginning to be felt in the two to four year election cycle, which is why politics is downstream of culture. We have been fighting holding actions and, and, and we've been fighting rear guard actions and, we're, you know, and, and we've, been, we've been gritting our teeth and hanging on. But this is 1943, you know? If you look back in history, 1943, what happened in 1943? Well, you know, not a whole lot, really, you know. 43 was the, year that the, was the year that the war turned. Prior to 1943, we were losing. After 1943, it was just downhill all the way in terms of the assured victory over Germany and Japan. That's where we are right now. We're going to see in November something astonishing. And we're going to continue to see it. The president of the United States is a laughingstock. The vice president is a laughingstock. The speaker of the House of Representatives is a laughingstock. All three of them are prominent Democrats, and they're all going to go. And I personally, while hating to wallow in the agony and frustration and despair of others, as a general principle, I'm just having the time of my life.